for the opportunity to be together again tonight. So thankful for your presence and those that are visiting with us. Thank you for being with us even tonight. Just a few announcements just quickly. Uh, a few people that were brought forward and uh, we want to mention them and, and go to God in prayer on their behalf as well. Carolyn, which is a Marine mom friend of Carolyn Teed, she needs prayers for some ongoing medical issues that she's dealing with. Chrissy is a classmate of Carolyn Teed and she's waiting for a kidney. In fact, she's been waiting for three years and every time that the kidney would come up that might be available, it wasn't a match. So we pray that, that they'll be able to find the right kidney for her and be able to help her soon. Aaliyah Russell, uh, we saw Glenda Russell and Marley this morning. They were visiting with us from Dalton, Georgia. And Glenda has a daughter named Aaliyah. And Marley is Aaliyah's granddaughter. So that's Glenda's great-granddaughter. But anyway, Aaliyah is having surgery this week and also needs our prayers as well, that everything will go well with that. Also, we have with us tonight, uh, Elena Canoe. She is asking for prayers. She has had some recent deaths in her family, and she is terribly in, in grief over that, and especially her grandparents have passed as well. And so let's, let's go to God in prayer on their behalf, if you will. Our most gracious, loving Heavenly Father, knowing that Thou art the creator of life and the sustainer of our lives, we know that we can approach Thee as humbly as we know how and realizing there are so many that are in need of Your tender, loving care. And Father, we want to pray especially for Carolyn who's undergoing some medical issues that she's dealing with and being a Marine mom, I know that she's got enough struggles knowing that her, her son's out there fighting for our country. But watch over her and help her to be able to get past these medical problems. We pray especially for Chrissy as well, a classmate of Carol's, that has been waiting for a kidney for some time. And Father, we pray that the right kidney will be able to come along soon and it be the right match. And Father, we pray that the doctors, the nurses that will be caring for her will be able to help her along to be able to find that right kidney and to be able to put it inside of her and it work and continue to stay working with no rejection at all. Father, we pray for Aaliyah Russell. and She's about to have surgery this week. And Father, we pray that you'll watch over her, the doctors, the nurses that are caring for her, that they make all the right decisions and they are able to have a successful surgery and to be able to help her in, in every way so that she can be back on her feet. We pray that she will also realize her need to come back to the Lord and be restored back to that first love as well. But Father, we pray especially for uh, Elena Canoe that's with us tonight. Father, we, we pray that riches blessings upon her and the grief that she has been experiencing for some time with the loss of her grandparents and other family members as well and help her in that grieving process and maybe she'll be able to look unto thee and thy word for the strength and the comfort to be able to realize just how wonderful life is 
but also to realize the death of her loved ones. And Father, we ask thee to be with her especially. Father, we ask thee to be with all of us as we study thy word tonight. We take the things we learn and obey them and apply them to our hearts and minds. Forgive us and in the end save us if we've been found faithful. In Jesus' name. We're going to be looking at the book of Haggai, chapter 1, as we think about our title tonight, Back to Work. All of the songs we've been singing tonight have been related to our work in the kingdom, and I'm thankful for Brother Jim and, and realizing that need for us to get back to work and to sing the songs that would encourage us just to get back to work, right? And as God's people, we are to be involved in the work of the kingdom. In Ephesians 2 and verse 10, Paul stated that we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, right? As a result, those of us who are members of the Lord's church are expected to participate. We are to work and we are to be active in his service. Paul would say in Galatians 6 that we are not to be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so all of us, if we want to go to heaven to be with God in eternity, we want to do everything within our power to bring others to Christ before it's everlasting too late. I want us to look at Haggai chapter 1 tonight. And I believe that the book of Haggai really emphasizes the very importance of work. And the emphasis is clearly on getting back to work. When we look at the book of Haggai, we, we can see some parallels in the work that the people were involved in during his time. And the work that we are doing today as members of Christ's body. When I look at the church here in, at Central and Clearwater, I believe that we are aware of the very numerous changes that have occurred and just, just recently, but we, we've come a long way. And I'm grateful for our successes, but we're far from arriving. Right? We're far from finished right? There are still many souls out there that are in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to do all that we can to look at the church's work and, and be involved in it and go out and teach others about Jesus Christ and him crucified. The church, in my opinion, is an institution that is always on the move. And when you look at the church in Jerusalem, you can see the tremendous success that occurred in the first century. And I, I don't think that they ever got to the point where they said, you know, well, we finally arrived. No, I don't think so. I think that they just continued to keep on working, doing the will of God in every area of their lives in order to bring glory to God himself. And I hope and pray that we never get to that point here at Central where we believe that we've arrived. We have not finished. There's always work to be done. There are always souls to reach out and try to save. And so we'll be talking about that in our study tonight. I'd like for you to consider with me tonight, first and foremost, the apathy of the people. When you look at Haggai chapter one, we see that Haggai is dealing with a, with a spirit of complacency. And what we want to do first is look at the context of what Haggai is really talking about. If you examine the history of the Israelite nation, you're going to discover that God's people were exiled in, 
into captivity. In fact, they were held captive in Babylon for 70 years. Nebuchadnezzar had arrived with his army and literally just sacked the city, the southern kingdom, and he, he had taken them captive. And so here we are, 70 years later, Cyrus, who ruled over the Medes and the Persians, he encouraged and he permitted God's people to return, to go back to their homeland and begin rebuilding the temple. The context for their efforts is derived from Ezra chapters 4 through 6. And the Bible tells us in Ezra 3 and verse 1 that the people worked together as one. That's very important. There was unity which I believe is significant when you consider their efforts and being able to rebuild the building of that temple. They were united as one. You know, whatever we do as a congregation, we must do it as, as one also. And the reason that we do this is that the devil uh, might try to conquer us if we're divided. And I think he has conquered us conquered us if we are divided, right? A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, Jesus said in Matthew 12 and 25. And as a result, the old adage, divide and conquer, seems to apply. But the Bible tells us in Ezra 3.10 that they laid the foundation for the temple. <coughs> but however, if, we, if you scroll down to chapter 4 of Ezra, and you continue reading all the way up to chapter 6, you're going to notice a difference. There was opposition. There was opposition that started, and as a result of that opposition, God's people just simply just quit working. And as a result, they became complacent. They, it took about 16 years for God to be able to summon two prophets. That's Haggai and Zechariah. And God told these prophets to, to light a fire, if you will, the kindle a fire in these people so that they could rebuild the temple and, and get back to work. So that they could complete the project that began about 520 B.C. and ended about 516 B.C. when the temple was finally completed. But that is only a brief overview of the context for what we're discussing tonight. But as we consider the background, I want you to consider the behavior of God's people. If you look at Haggai 1 and verse 2, the prophet said, thus, speak, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time for the Lord's house to be built. They had been given permission to return home, they had been given permission to rebuild the temple. They laid the groundwork, but then there was some opposition, and they gave up. Let me give you two specific things that Haggai addresses as we consider the behavior of the children of Israel. First, I want you to notice the people's materialism. Look at verse 3 of our text. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this how lie waste? We can become complacent at times, can't we? We can become content with where we are. It's very likely that these people had really grown accustomed to their surroundings because things were, were going well. And so they just simply just stopped trying. I believe that materialism can sometimes blind us to the spiritual things that 
We might even think we've already arrived. I mean, look, I got a fine car and a fine home, and, and I got a big TV, you know, to watch my favorite shows, and, and uh, there's bread on the table and food in my mouth and water to, to, to drink, and well, what else could I need? Well, you need God. You need God in your life. Everything isn't always going to be uh, content or be satisfied in that thing. You need God as well. They just sim- simply just started or stopped trying altogether. Jesus warned, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life not, does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Luke twelve fifteen. But now I want you to know the misery of the people. Drop down to verse 6 and notice what the prophet said. He said, Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but there is not enough. Ye drink, but there is not enough. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Then consider verse 9. Ye sought much and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I blew upon it. Why? inquires the Lord of hosts because my house is a shambles and you each run to your own house as a result the heaven above is barred from dew and the earth is barred from her fruit and I commanded a drought on the land and on the mountains and on the corn and on the new wine and on the oil on that which the ground yieldeth and on men and on cattle and all human labor what really happened if you go back in time and Look at the historical side of this. They have become complacent. They have become self-satisfied, if you will. And as a result, they were running in place. I, I agree with Haggai when he says that they were putting their money in pockets with holes in them. It was leaving out the back door just as quickly as it, as it was coming in the front door. And one of the dangers of becoming materialistic is that misery only can follow thereafter. And in this case, it was clear. As a result of the rebuilding project, they had become apathetic. So what did God do? Well, God said, you look for much and lo, it came to little. Right? Now consider the admonition to the people with me, if you will. We're referring to the command given by God through Haggai the prophet. The evaluation is included in this command, but we go back to verse 5 and we listen to what the prophet says. Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You drop on down to verse 7, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. God says to the people twice in this chapter, I want you to consider your ways. It's not the right way. I'd like to emphasize two points here. First and foremost, where do I stand as an individual? You see, when Haggai spoke on God's behalf, he said, consider your ways. There are two ways to look at this, and that is individually and collectively. Where do I stand as an individual? I believe that we should all take a spiritual inventory of our lives on a regular basis. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, he said, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith, right? These people needed to assess where they stood in the grand scheme of things. 
God said, I want you to consider your ways. But then that was individually, but then collectively, he then says, consider your ways, right? God here through the prophet is saying to the nation, I want you to evaluate your ways. It is, is it not the case that individually speaking today that we should do well to take inventory of our lives? Well, the answer would be yes. But what about collectively? What about collectively? Look at Revelation chapters 2 and 3 with me. In these, we, we have Jesus the Christ and analyzing the, the seven churches of Asia Minor in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And Jesus investigates every congregation. And there were seven congregations placed under a, a divine microscope, if you will. And two of these congregations escaped any type of divine censor. Four of these congregations, there were things positive said about them, but there were many other things that were negative about them. One congregation, Laodicea, nothing good was said at all. They had become lukewarm, apathetic. And God says, I will spew you right out of my mouth, right? And so I think it's good for us as congregations to collectively evaluate where we are. I would ask this question, where do we stand tonight collectively? Where do we stand tonight where are we as a congregation of God's people? It, it's one thing to ask, where are you? And it's another thing to ask where you are, right? Are we where we need to be? Are we where we want to be? Are we where we should be? Those are valid questions, aren't they? But those are questions that all of us need to ask collectively and yes, individually. But what about your spirituality? Are you you where you ought to be? Are you where you should be? Are you where you want to be? And those are questions that only you can answer as an individual. But as a congregation, I, I guess we could pull our resources and we could begin to make inventory. But nothing escapes the all-seeing all eye of God. Solomon said in the long ago that the eyes of the Lord are open. Oh, open in every place, beholding the evil and the good, Proverbs 15, 3. In uh, Jesus in Revelation 2 and verse 23 said that I am he which searches the reins, that is the minds and hearts, and I will give unto you every one of you according to your works or deeds. Now we need to notice the exhortation. We, we know the evaluation, but what about the exhortation? Drop down and look at Verse 7 of Haggai. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I, I want you to consider the ways. Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. And I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. What stands out to you when you read this verse? God's people have become complacent. They have become apathetic and have halted the rebuilding project. The temple in effect has been at a standstill for the past 16 years. And God said, here's what I want you to do. And he told them, go. Verse 8. Now consider the remainder of that verse. Go up 
to the mountain, bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified. Here's the point. God is glorified when we go and do what he asked us to do, right? Yes. Consider what God said. Go up to the mountain. We must participate in the kingdom's work. We must do everything in our power to advance the cause or else God will not be glorified. Consider what God said. Go up to the mountain. God never said build and they will come. God said go. That's the important part. If we want to fill this building, we will do so because we believe what God says in his word. The Great Commission tells us, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That's the Great Commission. In March 16, that was Matthew 28, 19 through 20. In March 16, 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be condemned. Both Matthew and Mark emphasize the word go in the gospel. And so if we were going to fill this building that represents human souls, that's what we need to do. Question. Is God interested in human souls? Yes. You, you better know he is. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all will come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. He's not willing that anybody will be lost and go to hell. He wants everybody to be in heaven with him. But what do we have to do to get there? We have to do his word, do his will, obey his commands. God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2, 4. You see, people cannot be saved and will not be saved unless you and I go, right? If we do not take the Lord's words to heart, God will never be satisfied if the church's work is not ongoing. The song that we sang a few moments ago that we're going to work. There is another song that says we'll work till Jesus comes, right? We'll work until when? To the time that Jesus comes back. To receive his own. We'll work till Jesus comes. Now Jesus may not come in my lifetime. But that means that I'm going to work until my life is over. Right? I'm going to work until death. But if the Lord does come in my lifetime. Then the idea is I'll work till he comes. And that ought to be our mindset. All together. So what does it take for the work to go forward? Well here are two characteristics that we need to consider. Number one. I believe that doing the Lord's work requires haste on our part. When I say it requires haste, I mean it must be done today. In 1 Samuel 21 and verse 8, David, the king of Israel, he, he made a significant observation and he claimed that the king's business demanded haste. Now, we've discussed a spiritual kingdom and we're serving King Jesus today, but if the kingdom of David, if you will, required haste, then what do you think about the kingdom of Christ? Where Christ is our king. Does that not require haste as well? Yes, indeed, it does. Now, when we say that the Lord's work requires haste, we mean today, not tomorrow. It's not next week, not next month or next year. It's today. 
I, I know many times that we as members of the body of Christ forget that haste is required. And so we must be conscientious. Paul advised being steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, right? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So what is it that prevents the church from, from progressing? Well, one is procrastination, right? Well, we will put off tomorrow what we could have done today. But we don't realize that tomorrow may never come. So we need to do it today, right? Procrastination. But the other is preoccupation. Uh, we put off doing what we know we should do or we're so preoccupied with the world that we forget what we should be doing, right? David declared that the king's business requires haste. We should regard the work of the church as the most important work on the planet. We should think of it as something that must be done every day, seven days a week. It should be that important to us. But then number two, in order for the church work to progress, a heart for doing the Lord's work is required. Yes, haste, but your heart's got to be in it. And if your heart's not in it, then, then we, we can just forget about it. Just forget about it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. There are, there are many things that we can find that stand out about the, the sacrifices, if you will, of the saints in the, the first century. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul in that particular context said that they first gave their own selves to the Lord, verse 5. He went on to say that they had a willing mind in verse 12. You see, if the church's work is to be what it should be, if we are to go, if we're to literally turn this city, this county, this state, this region, this nation upside down for the sake of Christ, then our hearts got to be in it. Our hearts will need to be captured for Christ. Now, the Lord must be everything in my and your lives. One of the things, one of the songs that we sing on, on occasion, He is my everything. I, I don't believe that you can really sing that song if he's not your everything. Because that would be lying, wouldn't it? We need to sing that song from the heart. This is the heart. Our minds need to be focused on doing the will of God though the Lord is our everything. I've often wondered why I could say what, what I could say to be able to persuade people to return on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. I know you're here, and I'm thankful for you being here. And perhaps I'm mistaken, but I've come to the conclusion that until people realize that Christianity is the center of life itself, that the material things, they're nothing. Rust and moth and all those will corrupt it, and it'll go away. It'll fizzle out, and you'll have to buy a new one. But Christianity itself will never go away. And that's what we need to have as the center of our lives. They're not coming back on Sunday night. And they're not coming back on Wednesday nights. Unless Christianity is the center of their life. It has to be the focal point of my life. Colossians 3. The Apostle Paul said, when Christ, who is our life. Is Jesus your life? Is he your everything? So many times in the church we want to give the Lord a a slither, just a slither of our life. The Lord's not interested in the slither of your life. He wants your whole life. 
What the Lord wants is my whole life. He wants my everything. He wants my heart. He wants my affection. Jesus said that if we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, Luke 10, 27. Do you love the Lord like that? If not, why not? It's for the king's work and necessitates haste and a great deal of heart. And I'd like to share this with you because I believe it's true that if Jesus could take 12 men from different walks of life and instruct them and teach them, and if those 12 men can literally change the world, literally turn the world upside down, he can surely take us and make a difference even in this community. It's, however, we must be willing participants. Nehemiah encourages the rebuilding of the Jerusalem wall in Nehemiah 4, 6. And he, he said, for the people had a mind to work. They had a mind to work, the Bible says. We need workers in this congregation. It's possible that you filled out a sheet for, you, for what you could do in your church work. And then we'll put you on the list that we want you to be able to do this and help out in this area. And, and you decided what you're going to do for this congregation. But please pay close attention. If you indicated to the elders on that sheet that you will do, that you would teach, or that you would participate in the worship services, or that you would do this, or you would do that. If they came to you and asked you, would you do it? Now you put it on the sheet that you would. But would you do it? Don't, don't say not now or maybe later. If you say you're going to do something, then do it with all your might. Do it with all your soul, mind, strength. If you want this church to be what it ought to be, what it could be, and what it should be. We must be willing to work. It, it can't just be the eldership or the deacons or even the preacher. It has to be all of us joining hands. That's, that's why we encourage those that are looking for a church home. We, we want you to come and join hands with us so we can work together to spread the borders of the kingdom. And especially in this community, but also throughout the world. But we can't do it alone. We had to do it together. Let's join hands working together. Go back in again and look at Ezra 3 and verse 1. The people were together as what? As one. You see, we stand or fall as one. We work together as one. This is a team effort. Everybody has to be on board. Why is it that some congregations today are nearly dead? Because people are not together as one, right? And they're not working. God wants to see his people working. He wants to see his people vibrant and active. If you look at Christianity itself, if you see somebody who says that they're a member of the church and they're, they're not doing anything for the cause of Christ, well, I, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? It makes you wonder. That's not New Testament Christianity, is it? Just sitting back and hoping that somebody else would do it. When I go back and I look at Acts 2 and and following, I see people who were on the move. These people basically had a mind to work. I mean, they, they were ready to move on for the cause of Christ. But if we're not on the move for the cause of Christ, then something's wrong, isn't it? What, what do they need? Well, in the day of Haggai, they needed to get back to work. It may be the case that some of us need to get back to work. We may to get, go back to work if we're not doing anything right now. 
And then thirdly, I want you to look at the actions of the people. Notice their compliance. Go back and look at verse 12 of Haggai. And, and when we think about their, their compliance, Haggai really speaks about the people's submission. Their submission. And in verse 12, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. So exactly what did they do? They obeyed God's command and submitted to his will. Then you'll notice, and the people feared before the Lord. Do you know what we will do when we have a healthy respect for the Lord and his will? We're going to do his will, right? We will obey him and do as he has asked. You know, it's possible for us that one of the reasons we don't work as hard as we should, perhaps one of the reasons that we aren't as involved as we should be is that when it's all said and done, maybe it's... Maybe it's because we really don't respect the Lord in his word. I don't know. These people had a high regard for the Lord because they obeyed his command and they went to work. These people respected the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 6, we, Isaiah had caught a, a, a very glimpse of, the God, of God on his throne and and, and he said there in verse 1, he said, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one having six wings. And with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah was impressed by what he had seen. The, the question went forth in verse 8. He says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And, and who will go for us? And then said I, here am I. That's it. I believe that Isaiah had a healthy respect for Almighty God, if we haven't been in the presence of God, and by that I mean if we haven't been spending time in His Word, it's very easy for us to become complacent and apathetic. But then notice the confirmation, verse 13. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. Listen, to, listen again to what God said. I am with you. God will stand by us in whatever projects we undertake for his cause. In the book of Joshua, in Joshua 1, verse 2, God said to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. Joshua was the successor to Moses, the great leader, lawgiver of ancient Israel. But here's what God said to Joshua. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, into the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. God instructed him to go. And then down in verse 5, God said, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life as I was with Moses. So I will be with thee. I will ne 
not fail thee nor forsake thee. Isn't that wonderful? To know that the Lord is on our side. He was on Haggai's side. He was on, on uh, Joshua's side. And of course, we've been studying Ezekiel, and we know that the Lord was on Ezekiel's side as well. God didn't say, all right, Joshua, go lead the people on your own. No, God said, you go. And what? I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Whatever we undertake for the cause of Christ, we need to understand the Lord will be with us. We can take that to the bank. He'll be with us. Whatever we undertake, we can take that to the bank. He's going to be with us. When Jesus instructed the apostles, the disciples to go and preach the gospel to every creature, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, into the end of the age. So be it. God will stand by us in our work and not just stand by us. I believe he will support us. We need the support, don't we? If we are to be what we should be, we must literally turn the city upside down for the cause. of We must all get on board, though. Work together as one. I, I guess within every congregation, you have a core group of people. You have some people who are very involved, some people who are not involved at all. Well, those who are involved need to involve the others who are not involved. Don't think you have to do it all on your own. Let somebody else help. Let them get involved as well. We will experience highs and lows as well as joys and frustrations. There have been some good times and some bad times. Those won't go away. There will be some more good times and bad times. But what makes me think that? Because after all, that's what life is all about, right? I have ups and downs in my life. You have ups and downs in your life. If everything was always hunky-dory, we wouldn't know what, what was good or bad, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's part of life. But when things are going well, that's when we need to be cautious because that's when the devil's at work. That's right. Uh, the devil despises success. He despises forward progress in God's kingdom. So yes, we will face some challenges. Yes, we will face some difficulties. But we have the assurance that if we keep his word, God will be with us. And I promise you that if we will stick to the plan that's outlined in this book, <laughs> the Lord will be with us every step of the way. Have we gotten too big? Too many members? I don't think the church in Jerusalem thought that either, right? There are always souls to save. So there are always souls to save. There are always people to minister. There are always things to do for the kingdom of Christ. It's an ongoing effort till when? We'll work till Jesus comes. Generations come, generations go. Every generation has work to do. We are in the present. And what we have to do is that we have to keep working. And if we're not working, then we need to get back to work. Get back to work. And so if you're here tonight and not a child of God, we want to encourage you to become one. You know, the, the Lord has outlined in this book the, the various means whereby we can become a child of His. He said, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, He says, that's the first step. You have to believe. You have to have faith in believing that Jesus is the Christ. John 8, 24. Else you're going to die in your sin. But he also said, now, with that belief and that faith, you, you're going to need to make the necessary changes in your life. 
called repentance. Luke 13, 3, Acts 17, 30. And then upon that repentance, you're going to want to, to let people know that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Romans 10, 9 and 10, Matthew 10, 32. And then you're going to be willing to go down into the waters of baptism. Let me assist you to make sure that you're thoroughly covered, buried in that watery grave to rise to walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 3 and 4, as a child of God, a New Testament Christian, ready to go to heaven if the Lord came right there. We hope that you'll make that decision this very night. Maybe you're here already a child of God. You wandered off. It's easy to go back into the world of sin. Satan is, he, he doesn't stop. He's relentless. And he wants us away from God. And if you're a child of God and you've obeyed the gospel, but you've wandered back off into the world of sin, Satan's got you. But you need to repent of that. Pray that God will forgive you. And we want to be here for you as well. The time is now. We're going we're gonna to sing a song of 270. We need to get back to work, don't we? If you're in need of the gospel call, won't you come? Listen.